This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code ARSCAST at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. And welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. Hope you're well. This is, I would estimate, effort 15 or 16 to begin this podcast, to record the podcast, because, you know, it's difficult sometimes to get going. I know I've explained this to you before, but I'm having particular difficulty today. I don't know what it is. I feel as if my, my podcasting ways are are mirrored by Arsenal, or my podcasting is is mirroring what's what's happening to Arsenal, just not, not able to get going, can't get started. So this is it. I can't do it anymore. So whatever the hell comes out of my mouth between now and the end of this show, that that's it. I'm not going back over it. I'm not deleting it. I'm not saying that's not good enough. I'm, I'm doing none of that. So chances are this podcast is going to be, I don't know what it's going to be because I can't, you know, I just can't. You see, it's difficult. Sometimes it's just difficult. If you hear a strange noise like this, hear that? That is a, I got a stress ball during the week. Um, from um, a big online retailer who I probably shouldn't be using because they're quite evil and stuff. But anyway, I got this because I, I have this pain in my little finger because of the way I, I hold my mouse and also because of the way that I, I type. And when you're typing a lot every day, you know, you've, you've got your hands in certain position. But uh, it's like if you see somebody holding a, a cup of tea and they're trying to be all posh, like a cup of tea, and their little finger is stuck out. That's the way my little finger sticks out when I'm typing. And now it's really sore all the time. I feel like if I could, I would just chop it off because then I would have no sensation in it whatsoever. But I feel like I need it, you know? I know it's kind of on the outskirts. It's it's living on the edges a bit. It's not the most useful finger that you could have, but man, it hurts. So I'm going to keep squeezing this ball as we talk and talk and talk uh, throughout this podcast. So apologies for any uh, any unusual noises and any unusual noises that aren't this. I'm going to blame on this. Anyway, so what are we going to talk about? Well, I'm going to give you the uh, winner of last week's competition where you could win yourself an Arseblog t-shirt. We'll do that. We'll talk about the Champions League draw. That was made yesterday. Uh, We'll talk about that in a a few moments' time. Uh, We'll look ahead to the game against Newcastle. Will we have any defenders or central defenders? We can touch on that. And, of course, there's the Liverpool game that happened on Monday night, the nil-nil, the fact that we can't score at home. What's going on there? What is it? Why can't we why can't we score at home all of a sudden is it a thing that we're just crap now or is it a, a temporary glitch something that that just kind of happens from time to time how do we fix it how do we get ourselves going once again in front of goal what is the way to do that I don't know I wish I had the answers I just don't know as Michael Owen would say to score goals in this league you need players who can score goals well he didn't actually say that that was a thing that I did during the week uh, on Arsblog News called The Wisdom of Michael Owen, where I made up um, some stuff, some comments about, that sound like something Michael Owen might say because, you know, they're pretty stupid, you know? Put them all together in a little amusing thing, put it on the website under the category spoof, 
Yeah. And then uh, right at the very bottom, I said that these things were not real. And look, some people thought they were real until they got to the bottom and read that they're not real. And some people knew that they weren't real. And But, you know, the, the Internet is a strange place, as we know. You're on it. Yeah. So that makes it strange for a start, and I'm on it, and lots of us are on it every day, but the amount of thievery and and uh, content robbery that goes on. So it was quite interesting this week to see um, some of those quotes collated into a graphic and presented as the best of Michael Owen's commentary, you know, popping up on all these, uh, you know, footy Bible and Bible lads and twat Bible and Bible pricks and pretty much all those Bible sites. You know the ones I'm talking about. My general rule of thumb is to to stay away from any site or Twitter account that has the word Bible in the name. No good can come of it, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I'm not quite sure why I'm talking about this now. See, my brain is not working. It's 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 Arsenal. I've gone all Arsenal. Can't get going. It's a stress ball. Don't worry. Don't worry. Look, we'll get it going. We'll get it going because you know we have important things to discuss. There's football tomorrow. Then there's an interlull, of course, after the game this weekend. But between that game and the interlull comes the transfer deadline window. It closes on Tuesday at 6 p.m. So the 1st of September at 6 p.m. And after that, that's it. Done until January. And Arsene Wenger was talking today about about transfers and whether or not we're going to make any. This was uh, at his press conference and... um, He said, I am always confident that a last-minute situation or solution is available because the transfer market is especially moving in the last four or five days. And I have to admit that I too find it moving in the final days of the transfer window. The the madness that envelops us all often makes me weep for humanity. It's quite, quite touching indeed. But I know what he means. He's talking about how things might get going in the final days of the transfer window when, when you know, uh, managers and squads and, and clubs go, oh, shit, shit, we need to do something. So this guy buys that guy, then that guy, and they're like, he goes there, and they go there, and then this, this sort of transfer thing, this merry-go-round kind of starts, which, you know, it's fine. I get that. Stuff happens. And, and and things and opportunities become available that you weren't necessarily aware of beforehand. But, you know, again, it's that, it's that whole, are we doing enough? Is it reactive rather than proactive and all that kind of stuff? But he says, you know, we have specific targets, but sometimes you get an idea from somebody because you didn't know that the player you like was available. And if you get an opportunity, you do it. But isn't there another way of doing that? Like not in the final days of the transfer window, that if you see a player you like, you kind of just ask the other club and go, is he for sale? And they'll go, nah. Or you go, is he for sale? And they go, maybe. And then you make an offer and, and then you buy them. You buy a person. You buy the human. Bring it into your football team. Maybe you forgot you like them. Maybe there's just so many players, it's impossible to keep track of them all. There's probably not enough staff. That's what we need. We need more staff working on transfers. Arsene Wenger says, I have a team around me who work night and day to find good solutions. So, solutions suggest that we're aware that there are problems. Because you wouldn't be looking for a solution to nothing. Like, if my tap is broken, I look for a solution. My tap is not broken at all, I don't. I don't look for a solution for a tap that works perfectly well. Some people might go crazy. Ooh, I'd just like to make it clear that that was not a torrent completing of a Hollywood movie that I might watch later on. 
absolutely not. All right? Keep that under your hat. But what was I saying? Oh, yeah, some people might go crazy and, and, and try and improve the tap before it breaks. I don't know what you call those people. Man City, I think. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But look, this is what's going on. Transfers, deadline day, game against Newcastle, and, and there we are. That's pretty much what's going to happen between now and the end of this podcast. We'll, uh, we'll talk to our guest this week about lots of that stuff now in a few minutes' time. But we, we, get, a lot of, um, we get a lot of comments on, on the site, on Arsblog and on Arsblog News. Lots of them are great. Some of them not so great. And some of them are just, well, plain awful. For various reasons, I won't go into all the ins and outs of, of why they're awful and why they don't appear on the site, because there's, there's lots of reasons. But from time to time, when someone leaves a comment, it's, it's a piece of majesty, something that deserves not just to be words on a screen that aren't published because, well, you just can't, but something that deserves to live on through the ages. And what lives on more than sound, apart from, you know, mountains and trees and uh, you know, oceans and other man-made materials that have a half-life of infinity. But apart from that sound, so we got one comment during this week that couldn't publish on the site, but I think it deserved sharing. So I did it in the, uh, the style of a, a dramatic reading. And here it is in all its glory. tired of us blog notes it's like wagner note how can you say ramsey can continue to play in this place and our king attacking mr finisher the game without kick and goal look at kutigno when he has chance to goes to goal he will take chance how can man who was man of match against Chelsea and have very good precision start only one game? Look at Ramsey. He play all precision game. He never score on those game. Kadzora was man of match against Everton, against Palace and player very well in the other game. And some Arsenal fan will tell you to drop Kadzora to Ramsey. Arsblog. Please tell me how to game to play this year and attacking King Minster to goal and assist. You can see why we couldn't publish that, but nevertheless, I think it was good to uh, to share that so it may live on through the ages. Uh, along with mountains and trees and and all that kind of stuff. Before we meet our guest today, a reminder that support for this podcast today comes from Squarespace. So if you're looking to set up a blog about Arsenal, a blog about anything, if you want a website, a portfolio, an online store to sell, whatever it is that you make or to showcase your goods or your artwork, whatever it might be, you need Squarespace. You don't need to install any software. You don't need to fiddle around with database settings. You don't need to do any of that. It is quick and simple with Squarespace. And what you get is a site that looks professionally designed. It's got great tools, a great back-end, state-of-the-art technology, and if you get stuck, if you find something tough going, they offer 24-7 support via email and live chat. It just takes all the hassle out of uh, creating a website. The best part is that it's incredible value for money starting at just $8 a month. That's $8 a month, and if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name. 
What more could you want? And what are you waiting for? If you're thinking of starting a website, a portfolio, an online store, Squarespace is where to go. So you can start a free trial today with absolutely no credit card required at squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up with Squarespace, simply use the offer code ARSCAST to get 10% off your first purchase. It's a great way of supporting this podcast. I thank you very much indeed for it. And thanks very much indeed to Squarespace for their support too. It's squarespace.com. Build it beautiful. Speaking of beautiful, it's the man from East Lower. Hello. Hello there. Uh, just want to, before we get started, I want to explain the technical rules of the podcast. What happens is I speak to you, then you speak to me, then we take a couple of balls, swizzle them around, mm-hmm. put them in a hot pocket, and away we go. And, um, we draw, and we draw Bayern Munich. Yes, we draw Bayern Munich. Some surprise there, eh? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> That same similar thirty-two teams every year, so um, mm. not massively surprising. There was a yeah, a huge familiarity though with the group because we played Bayern Munich a number of times in the uh, in the last few years, and of course Olympiacos a number of times in the last few years as well. Yes, it, it, yes, but it's a bit weird that um, you know everyone's saying oh, a bit boring. We've done it before because I mean let's be honest, we play the same teams in the Premier League pretty much, give or take. Every year, yeah, no but this says, is supposed oh, this is supposed to be the variety. This is supposed to be the the bit on the side, you know, the extra fancy, you know, sexy bit. Instead, it's Olympiacos again. Yeah, but it's the same teams that, that get through to the top four or three of their countries. So, um, not massively surprising. I like the Bayern Munich. I think that's a great tie. I think mm. it'll be very, very, very exciting. Olympiacos can't say it's got my juices flowing, um, but it's I think all, maybe- everyone liked a bit of Greek, as far as I was aware, but. Well, yeah, well, that's that's very true. Yeah, I don't know what to say to that. But um, let, Zagreb, that's what I'm going to say to that. I Zagreb. think that's a good one. I think that's a good one too. Yeah, we've only played them once, I think, in one season. I can't remember what it was, but we won both games, so that was good. Um, and yeah, well, look, there you are. I mean, the good thing about drawing Bayern Munich in the group stage, of course, is that you can't face them in the next stage. Yes, we can get knocked out by someone else. So there's the variety for you. Yes, there, you see, that's long-term thinking. You're on it. <laughs> yeah. What about the uh, the whole process though on on UEFA and watching the draw? Did you watch it? Did you or I, I did watch it. I love it. I love it because it's just so cheesy and um, absurd. The whole thing and and so slow and oh dear. But I love it for that. There's, there's something incredibly uh, European about the whole thing. You know. So do you know? Who, do you know who they should get to host it? Who? Antoine de Corn. Yes. The guy who did this uh, for uh, listeners outside of Europe or, or otherwhere in the world, he did. He's a French man who did this. Uh, what was the show? Euro Trash, I think Euro it was trash. called. Yeah. It was. So they would they would go and do these uh, crazy items about a couple of um, Germans who were swingers, but who made toys out of dead pigs and used those to kind of do things to each other with, while their children played a Glockenspiel beside them in front of the whole village. Those kind of stories. If, if you didn't just make that up, then I'm very, you know, very worried. I did actually just oh, make well, that that's up. That's even that's pretty impressive. Yeah, but I don't think that's too far off the uh, off the bat. No, not at all. It's, it's something incredibly ponderously slow about about, about the draw, but but uh, it's also quite gripping at the same time because, well, I know there's something kind of strange about it. I, I like it. Yeah. So we're all set then for for European football once again. Yes, we are. We're, we're absolutely all set for it. And uh, I think, uh, being serious, although it's not my general remit, I, th- I think with, with that group, we can um, we can get through it. So um, what we do after that, of course, is where we all start 
slapping our foreheads. Yeah, and I think when we look at the games against Bayern Munich and, and everyone goes, oh, Bayern Munich, Pep Guardiola, all the great players that they have, kind of lost in the, in the midst of that uh, is the fact we've had some good results against them. Yeah, uh, yeah, though we had the 2 0, um, but when it was too late, and there's always that sort of slight whiff of when it's too late. Mm. But, um, but that's not to say it's impossible. Um, no, I, I think it'll be really exciting, and that's the main thing, let's be honest. I mean, you know, where, however far we get in the tournament, the whole point is to enjoy it and to sort of get some serious midweek excitement out of it, which, which we definitely will against them. Yeah, uh, and I guess the thing that we could hope for by the time the European football starts is that we might have got going as well as a team because the start of the season hasn't necessarily been as, as quick fire as we would have liked. No, and uh, we, it's, it's quite, it's quite in, uh, interesting to kind of watch it because um, even with all the goodwill that we sort of got over the last half a season winning the FA Cup again, uh, it doesn't take much, does it? To, no. For, for, for the sort of knives to be out and for the frustration that, to boil over again. And um, it's exactly what Wenger didn't want. It's this starts, you know, this fast start, which ended up being... A very slow start, and actually, and the other thing is, you now look at Newcastle away uh, on Saturday, and you think, oh, that's a banana skin, isn't it? Mm. Oh, that, oh, they, they've got some new players, and they've got their tails up a bit, and we could lose that. And of course, it's exactly <laughs> that kind of thing with Arsenal, is it? You know, you're either up or you're down. Yes. Um, well, you know, as, as much as Arsene Wenger didn't want that kind of start, I don't think anybody else did either. Um, you know, there was a feeling that after preseason, we were going to, you know, if not cr- cruise. We were going to be in good shape. We were going to be ready to go. And instead, the you know, it wasn't even that we played bad teams in preseason. We played some decent teams and played quite well. And we scored, I don't know, six against Leon or something like that. And, you know, you were... Th- did we? Or did I dream that? Uh, we definitely beat them, but I've, I, can't, I can't remember what the score was. Right, okay. Well, yeah, we scored some goals in some of the games. Um, and then, of course, you know, when push comes to shove, we got shoved over. Yeah, I think I think the first game was the one that that sort of set the the pattern. And um, do you think that has kind of set the team back a little bit? That you know, if they had won that first game, then perhaps it would have been we we would be talking momentum and cohesion rather than. Well, probably because I mean we won the second one. So if we'd have gone into the Liverpool game and got a draw, having won the first two, then nobody would have been talking about this at all. You know, it, it, it just wouldn't have happened. So. Um, it, the, the frustrating thing about that first game is it, it's definitely a, com, a complacency thing, completely. And that's a worry, isn't it? Does it? Irrespective of the people you've got on the pitch, the fact that there, there's an element of complacency there is... Mm. It's, it's, it's never... You know, it's all, it always kind of rings alarm bells, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's human nature to a certain extent, but then how many times can you talk about having to learn that lesson and, and you know, be up 100% for this and... You know, it's, I'd say it's a fine line between confidence and not complacency, perhaps, but a bit of arrogance, a bit of, you know, overconfidence. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's probably a fine line with football teams. Yeah, it is. But it's it, um, and obviously we only kind of tend to scrutinize Arsenal and I'm sure other teams do exactly the same thing. But we seem to do it um, just where we don't need to. Mm. And I, th- I think that has set us back. We played pretty well against Palace. Maybe we should have scored some more. And then Liverpool was just a really, really peculiar game. It was bonkers, wasn't it? Uh, it was really bonkers. It was, it was, and the first half, it was, it was just painful. At the end there, you know, you just, you just wondered when it was going to go in. And the, the fact that it didn't was a, 
something of a miracle and and then the second half was was all right so but no goals and that's a that's obviously a big a big worry yeah that is i mean five games from the last six at home with no goals you know is it symptomatic of a deeper problem that we're not quite sure what it is or is it a run that a team can go on from time to time for no particular reason it's a good stat, but I have to say there are some serious mitigating circumstances. I mean, if you think the last uh, Sunderland game, which was the end of the last season, they just needed a, a point, I think, to, to stay up. Now, that's a, a tough game because, you know, they they fought, they didn't you know attack at all and they fought really hard. And then, of course, it was the FA Cup. No one wants to get injured. I think those are big factors. Um, and the Chelsea was a nil-nil. Well, that's Chelsea. It's probably not a bad result. Mm. Um, so I, I think... Um, it is a kind of it is a powerful stat to say five of the last six, and of course it's true. But at the same time, it's it's um, they, they straddles two seasons, and there are so, some obvious reasons why they kind of tailed off yeah. towards the end of the last season. The worry, I suppose, would be I remember a, a period, oh God, a few years back where we had some I don't know what stage of the season it was. It could have been early on, but we had some games where we 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 didn't score. We never really looked like scoring. We weren't mm. creating very many chances. Uh, and this feels a little bit different from that in the sense that we are making chances that you can look at the games and go, well, we should have scored there. You can look at the Liverpool game and pick you know, a couple of moments, maybe three, where you think, well, we should have scored there. And indeed, we did score a goal with Aaron Ramsey being offside. So again, fine margins uh, and incorrect linesman's flag is the difference between going uh, a goal up or not there. So for, is there some comfort to be taken in that? I think so. I think so. Like you say, it could have been one nil, should have been one nil. Um, and Liverpool are an improved side. I think they're improving. You know, they they even though they had a kind of a rubbish season last year, they they've uh, they've spent and they they look all right. So um, I don't think it's a big disaster that one. The West Ham was the one that was just like I say was just daft. And I think the goals will. I think the goals will come. The the, the danger is and the and the the problem is. Um, and this probably kind of segues into, you know, the whole thing about transfers is that um, Fenger is relying on this team to improve, you know, organically. If he's not buying any outfield players, he's relying on this team to improve by sort of 12 points. Mm. And and it's already, you know, it's already looking like a really, really tall order. Yeah. Even though even though we think it'll, I think it'll improve, I think some of the players that didn't score that many last year will get more. So I, I'm not massively worried about, about us improving because we will, but... You know, it, are we likely to improve sufficiently for what what the fans want? I, mean, I don't know. At the moment, judging on what we've seen, it doesn't look like it, does it? No, it doesn't really. And of course, if if other teams are spending and may spend again before the the, the transfer window closes, that maybe we need to improve by more than twelve points. Well, that's, that's right. Yeah, the thing. Exactly. Chelsea were twelve ahead of us. Man City have looked like they've spent wisely and and extravagantly. And they'll they'll be improving, and Man United look very much like they'll be improving too. So, you know, it is um, it's going to be very competitive, and so we need to we need to start improving and like rapidly, <laughs> and then and even then you you kind of got you, you almost think don't you that we can't really afford many of those kind of heads in the clouds two nil home defeats to the likes of West Ham. Yeah, yeah. You wrote on your blog, uh, you know, about this feeling of being two players short mm. again. Um, do, do you? What's your thoughts on what might happen between now and Tuesday evening at six o'clock? I think, I think, um, I, I believe, I believe Wenger when he says they're searching high and low. But I don't think, I don't think anybody will come in. If well, I'm honest, what do you think they're searching high and low for? That's, because that's, it was, 
Yeah, go on. A striker predominantly. Yeah. I, I think so. I think um, I think a striker is where we, you know, and a, and a striker that's going to get us a good wage of goals is where uh, we're not problem. We haven't got any problems creating defensively. Well, we're pretty shaky. Whoever you play, sometimes we go on a good run, but you know that's just Arsenal in a way. Um, I think a striker is where he'll be looking, um, but. It isn't easy to know where that where that one's going to come from. I mean, he can't say it because he doesn't know himself. Probably, if, I can't think of many big big name strikers that have been traded this summer. Yeah, no, true, and I don't see too many that are really available to us either. Um, particularly when, if you are going to buy from a reasonably big club, that they're going to want to replace that player um, when, when they decide to let him go. Yeah, and sometimes you do get a bit of that merry-go-round right at the end, and maybe yeah. we'll see that. But 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 um, it did sound like that's what he was looking for when he was talking yeah. about it. You know, when he was said, you know, we're looking for solutions. Yeah. So as well, I said, sort of earlier in the podcast, you don't look for a solution unless you're fairly aware there's what you would consider something of a problem. Yeah, I think I think I think it's obvious that I mean most teams could could uh, be improved in any position and I think um, our strike force whilst it's good and has potential to improve I think there's no doubt I mean anybody can see that a sort of top top quality player would improve it but uh, it's finding that player and then so you kind of think to yourself well look if there are, if a sort of mid-range player comes available is there any point in it and you, you probably think probably not mm. so I mean we've yeah. got we've got a, co- a couple of them already yeah quite yeah quite and and, uh, and I mean Daniel Welbeck when he gets fit He'll score. He ought to score more than nine. Wellcott should score more than whatever the six or seven he got. Um, and Giroud probably not much more than he got. Fifteen to twenty is about, I think, all he's going to ever get. Yeah. And um, so you might get another ten, ten to fifteen goals from, uh, you know, from the existing players. But um, yeah, it's hard to know where that would come from. But it's it's kind of frustrating that it can, again has sort of come down right to the last few days and where where it's been fairly. Kind of fairly obvious all summer, really. Mm. I mean, do you think uh, with this uh, all the talk of Benzema that perhaps they were waiting on him to either either make a decision or for Real Madrid to make a decision about whether they were going to keep him because there was lots of talk about Madrid going after Royce and and that then would mean they'd have to sell to and also make make room in the team. Um, so in order to get the player from the big club, that big club has got to make space in their squad for 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 a departure. Um, or at least offset the departure of, of somebody who's a, who's a big player. I mean, Madrid don't have another striker, really. You know, they've got Ronaldo, they've got Bale, they've got a, a young guy, I think, coming through. But, you know, they don't have uh, somebody who can, who can uh, slip directly into Benzema's role, whereas we can at least interchange our mid-level Giroud and Welbeck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so maybe it was always a, a more, always an incredibly long shot, in which case you'd expect there'd be other options even if even if they're far fetched, mm. I'd I'd be I'd love to be a fly on the wall because, and I'd love to know what the kind of players they're looking at are because, you know, it would just be interesting to know who the kind of players who are actually available. I mean, there's no use saying, oh, Aguero would do it. Well, of course he would, but he'd be about 75 million in the current market, and and he wouldn't leave anyway. So um, it's hard to know where that would be, and um, and so yeah, you'll if you get to Tuesday without having bought anybody else, then. You know, you're leaving a lot to a lot to chance, really. And the fact that I can't think of many summers where we've gone an entire transfer window and not signed an outfield player of note. Yeah. I mean, there will be those who will say, you know, there were five outfield players bought last summer. 
and mm-hmm. uh, a, a sixth in January with Gabrielle coming in. And as well as that, we've had um, Bellerin come into the team. We've had Coquelin come into the team. So for the sake of whatever. But look, I mean, I don't suppose you can take those things in isolation. You still need to improve, don't you? You still need to do everything you can to to make the team better. And, you know, it's it's telling, I think, that Arsene Wenger spoke about wanting more goals from his team. He said he wanted 10 goals from Oxlade-Chamberlain. He wanted 10 from Mesut Ozil. He wanted, you know, uh, other players to get... He wants he wants more goals because I think he's aware that his team doesn't score enough goals to win the title. Yeah, and uh, and in terms of the other ones we've signed, it made, they've all made a big difference and we've improved. Um, and in most areas, we're very strong. But I think I think looking at where, where Coquelin plays, he's f- fabulous, turned, turned into a very good player. But I don't think that Arteta and Flamini are really uh, the alternative solutions that I'm sure they could be bettered, put it that way. And um, and ditto up front. So those are the two areas that everyone's been, well, we, we pretty much said it way back in mm. in May. In May. Well. That said, though, I mean, you know, it, it, we are we are due an improvement and we and we know we can improve. So, um, you know, once that starts happening and you know what it's like when we kind of, it looks pretty gloomy after three games or at least it looks not as, not as good as it we wanted it to but in another three games time you just you never quite know do you so it it looks slightly different potentially yeah I mean that is true but I just think there's no there's no room for forgiveness if in another three or four games things are still a bit gloomy that's when the weight of things uh you know starts starts to really build up well that's right because if we were to lose hypothetically to Newcastle on the weekend which again given our last three games you wouldn't you wouldn't rule it out then um and, and Man City were to win, then they're eight points ahead of us. Mm. And you think, well, there you go. It's, it's August. Jesus. I know, but that's a gloomy prognosis, right? But at the same time, it's not It's not a million miles. It's not a million no. miles. It's not impossible. Potentially happening. It's, it? not. <laughs> no. it's not impossible. No, that's for sure. Okay, well, look, we're going to have to wait and see. What, what do you make of, um, if we're talking about the team improving and maybe becoming a bit more dynamic and offering more goal threat, do you think there's scope to move around players that we've already got, that we seem quite wedded to uh, both a, a formation and a fixed starting 11 yeah. at the moment, and maybe shaking that up a little bit might just might just spark some people into life? I think it would. Uh, I, I, at the game on Monday, uh, you, you could... Well, it, it certainly looked to me like they were trying to go through the middle a lot, and um, and without the sort of outlet on the break of very very fast players, um, it meant the kind of more patient build up was mm. required. And and you kind of you know, you, when you get to the edge of the D and and you start whipping it left right left right, you know it's the classic Arsenal way. It's very hard at that point to break through. And and I think when when Oxford Chamberlain in, in particular came on, because I don't think Theo did anything, but when Oxford Chamberlain came on and really hugged the line. It made a big difference, and suddenly we had a bit of pace there, and we were stretching the game. So I, I'd like to see you know a bit more width and a bit more pace, and if that means sacrificing one of the players, and um, that so be it. It's going to have to happen, and w- whether that's Özil or Kozula or Ramsey. Well, look, we've got these great players. They, you know, they could all fit in. Um, maybe not on the same game, but ultimately you you can't you can't keep them all happy if the team isn't quite functioning right. Mm. If it were you which one of them would make way or what would be the change that you would make to get Oxlade-Chamberlain into the team? Um, I Well, you'd have to drop... I think you'd, 
It's a good question because I, I think you could you could drop Ramsey for a game and try it try it the way it so you know Oxlade for Ramsey and then maybe if that didn't work you could try dropping Özil for a game. The thing is he he doesn't seem to ever want to drop Özil for a game and most of the time there's good reason for that. But other other games there's no reason why you can't mix it up a bit in the midfield. So I would I would um, I'd probably drop Ramsey for a game and try it. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Not Cazorla. Well, mate, yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is, you could kind of pick one or the other, but I think Cazorla yeah. works quite well uh, back there with Coquelin and at the moment. And having said that, he you know, ha- wasn't particularly brilliant against Liverpool either. Um, so you could drop one or the other and, and then and pretty much pull it out of a hat. But uh, for, to try it for a game, I think there's, there's absolutely no, mm. there's no harm in that. What about Alexis up front for Giroud? And then you can bring Oxlade chamberlain in on the left, perhaps. Yeah, I, yeah, I saw you mention that, and and, um, and I, I quite like the idea of that because I think Giroud is, apart from his brilliant goal, he's not particularly firing at all cylinders. And um, Alexis, we know what he's like; he's like a you know, one-man dynamo. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he'd do very well there. So that would be an interesting thing to try, and and maybe maybe it is the time to to start trying that. But um, it it doesn't really feel like a very Wenger thing to do. No, maybe not. Maybe not ahead of an away game when we're going to be possibly without both our uh, first choice centre halves. Well, there there is that as well. Mm. Yeah, there is that as well. Poor old Callum Chambers suffered a bit, didn't he, in the in the first half? But um, I, maybe it'll do him some good to be, you know, to have done the ninety minutes and to come through it without too much more panic. I guess t- in the second period, it's tough for him because um, he hasn't played, you know, for a long, long time, and. Um, hasn't played with Gabriel before and then you're coming straight in it is tough when you're you're 20 that you know that you get your one chance and you have to you have to prove it and and I I guess there's a lot of pressure there Mm. so um but he did get better and and I I wouldn't have a you know it's an interesting one if if both Mertesacker and Koscielny were not fit this weekend then who would you play obviously Gabriel but would you put Debussy or Monreal in there I'm not sure Because if you took the second half performance, you wouldn't be too worried. If you took the first, then you'd have kittens. <laughs> uh, that's very true. Well, look, we'll wait and see, and hopefully at least one of them will be uh, will be fit and ready to go. So, look, uh, we'll keep fingers crossed for Newcastle and mm-hmm. um, and see how that takes us into the uh, interlull and then, of course, the end of the transfer window in which yes. um, nothing will happen. There, you're not even allowed any people with, um, with blow-up... With blow accoutrements anymore are you in, in, in on sky sports they've they've banned that so there's no excitement of the blow-up dolls and the and the other strange things being thrown around i you know to be perfectly honest i don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing well it, you say that and of course you're right but at the same time i remember the january one when um, to be fair arsenal were never gonna uh, i think they'd already bought Gabrielle and they were never going to buy anybody else and I think it was Ed Chamberlain poor bloke was stood in the middle of um of the pitch at the Emirates with nobody around him quite clearly nothing was going to happen at Arsenal he looked very forlorn yeah it wasn't the best telling. Oh, I've got no problem with their you know their their general misery but I just think exposing them to the sort of people that live you know the the physical embodiment of YouTube comments uh, yeah. I'm not sure that's fair even for for those people well, no, but it makes what's otherwise quite boring telly a little bit <laughs> more interesting, you know. All right. Well, there's the challenge for anyone doing it now. If they can uh, sneak a purple dildo onto the screen and into a, a reporter's ear, um, yeah, you can have a free T-shirt or something. That'll be <laughs> <laughs> uh, the man from East Lower. Thanks as always. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed to the man from East Lower. You can find him on Twitter at East Lower or on his blog, which he still does from time to time. Thankfully. One of the old school, still in there, 
eastlower.co.uk. That's what you need to do. Right, competition time. Well, in the sense that I'm going to give you the winners of last week's competition. There wasn't a question. It was just a matter of you going to the store and telling me what T-shirt you would like. So well done to Nicholas John. You get yourself a Robert Perez T-shirt. And there's an Alexis T-shirt going to Johnny Houseman. So well done to you guys. I'll be in touch. I'll get your addresses and T-shirt sizes and all that kind of stuff. And remember, if you do want to have a look, just go to arsblog.com. Go to the very end and look for shop. Uh, and you can click on there. It'll take you through to T-shirts and mugs. And there's still 15% off all the T-shirts and hoodies that are on the site there. So do check that out. Now, looking ahead very quickly to the game against Newcastle tomorrow, 12.45 kickoff. Should we be worried? Should we care? I'm not sure that we should. You know, it's the same for Newcastle. Sure, they didn't have to take a small plane ride or train ride or whatever it was that we did to get to Newcastle, but we did there in plenty of time. It's not like we're going up on Saturday morning going, whew, got here just in time, stopping off at the service station on the way for a sausage sandwich and a can of lilt. Whew. No, we got there in plenty of time, so there should be no worries about uh, kicking the game off at 12.45, and if we do play badly, it's got nothing to do with when the game is taking place. Uh, the team news is that there's still worries over Mertesack and Koscielny. Mertesacker still ill and rated the least likely of the two uh, by Arsene Wenger at his press conference yesterday and Lauren Koscielny was going to have a fitness test on his back injury but he was thought to be out for another uh, week or so so it could be a case that we go with Chambers and Gabrielle again and I wonder if the manager will do that. Will he stick with Chambers and Gabrielle? I mean, if he was going to make a change with uh, Chambers, he would have done it at halftime in the Liverpool game, right? Yeah. So he probably will stick with those two if they're the two that are available. It would be good if Koscielny was back because uh, himself and Gabrielle seem to play reasonably well together and away from home, it would be good to have his experience and, and quality in there. Other than that, nobody else is back. Nobody else is out. Jack Wilshire still out. Uh, Danny Welbeck will be back after the interlull, apparently, which is uh, which is good news. Uh, but nobody else uh, nobody else is available. So we, uh, we've got to hope that the players that, that struggled a little bit against uh, Liverpool in the first half can can find a bit more rhythm can find their finishing Arsene Wenger saying that the players are they're trying to force it a bit away from home when it comes to uh when it comes to their finishing they're not trying to just you know slip it in they're trying to ram them in there uh, and maybe they should just be a, a bit more composed and hopefully we'll see some of that Olivier Giroud will he start up front that's a question he's got eight goals against Newcastle during his uh, time at the club Sometimes, as a player, you have teams that you score against a lot. Robert Pires against Tottenham. Emmanuel Adebayor against Tottenham as well. You might remember Thierry Henry against, well, pretty much everyone. You know, but certain players sometimes play well against certain teams for no other reason than it's just one of those coincidental weird things. Whether that will affect the manager's team selection, I don't know. Maybe he might think, away from home, a team that's going to have to come out and play a bit. Maybe Theo Walcott on the break could be the guy to play up front. And, you know, if we do need a goal late on, if we're struggling to win the game or get back into it, then you've got Giroud coming off the bench who can give you that that's something a bit different. Maybe that will be part of his thinking. Maybe he could play Alexis uh, up front and bring Oxlade-Chamberlain to play on the left or the right-hand side. Who knows how it's going to go. He might see enough in that second-half performance against Liverpool to stick with what he's got. Will it be Coquelin and Cazorla with Ramsey on the right? I don't know. I don't know. But I think the uh, most important thing, of course, is that we go there and we take the three points, particularly going into an interlull. This really, really feels like a game that, that we've got to win. 
So, uh, fingers crossed we can do that. We'll discuss this game on the Arscast Extra on Monday with James, and then on Tuesday it's transfer deadline day, and we'll see whether anything happens before uh, the weekend is out or on deadline day itself. We'll uh, keep you up with all the news uh, on our blog news as well. We might do a little live blog, which is generally us fucking about because nothing is happening. But uh, it's uh, you know we've done it before, and and out of nowhere the odd player has arrived. So uh, maybe that'll be good luck. Because that surely is the reason why we sign players. Because we do a pointless live blog. <sighs> Stuff going, you know. But look, that's it, really, for this week's show. Uh, as I said, Arsecast Extra on Monday. And then next week, I'm not sure what's going to happen because we don't normally Arsecast during an interlull. But perhaps because uh, it's the end of the transfer window and we'll know the state of our squad until January at least. We'll know exactly how much money we've spent not just how much we spent, but also the net spend, we might do like a Google Hangout or something like that. Do people still do that? Is that still a thing, Google Hangouts? Or do we have to Periscope or Meerkat or one of those things? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Maybe we'll do something next Friday. So until then, here's to a good Arsenal weekend and all that that entails. I'll catch you on the next one. Cheers, folks. Bye-bye. It's another wacky adventure with Ned Spend. Nah, mate, you are talking absolute bollocks. Bollocks. Everybody knows that custard cream is the king of biscuits. It's the absolute king of biscuits. Can't come anywhere near it. Custard cream in a biscuit. Well, what do you want? No way, man. Everybody knows that the best biscuit that you can get out there is a Garibaldi. It's got raisins, it's flat, it's easy to eat. Garibaldi is the biscuit. And now, lads, come on. We, we respect both our choices. Two all-time classics in fairness to Garibaldi and the Coaster Cream. But if we're really talking the king of biscuits here, it's got to be the digestive. Everybody loves the digestive biscuit. And if you don't love a digestive, th- there's something wrong with you. That's bollocks, bollocks. It's no, got it's to be the custard cream. It's a Settle down. Settle down. Look, here's the man who can settle this once and for all. Ned, look, we're talking about the best biscuits that's out there. Johnny reckons it's custard cream. Bob there thinks that it's Garibaldi. I know I'm full on in with the digestive. Sort it out there, Ned. Come on, which one is the best? Fella, fella, talk about chocolate digestive. Don't talk about digestive. Talk about chocolate digestive. Oh, fucks. Do you have to do this every fucking time, do you? We'll go and get a point. It's another wacky adventure with Ned Spend.